Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the fourth Clash of the Titles Fanuary of the Year, the podcast that this January pits two movies with something in common picked by fans of the show and puts them in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week, in the red corner, Costner and Connery are cleaning up Chicago. The Chicago Way, as they take on Robert De Niro's skull-crushing Al Capone in 1987's The Untouchables. While in the blue corner, Hanks is in somber mode as he's simultaneously on the run and out for revenge on Daniel Craig and Paul Newman in 2002's Road to Perdition. What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. You follow me? No one. Sunny day, stands are full of fans. What does he have to say? I'm going out there for myself. (laughs) Connor, is there something you would like to say about last night? I'd like to apologize for what happened. Especially to you, weeks in a month. What can I say? We lost a good man last night. You think it's funny? Try again. I'd like to apologize. So it's a Prohibition era punch up this week, but which film will be victorious? Let's find out. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters. This podcast stinks like a whorehouse at low tide. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to the fourth and final Fanuary special, a month of listener-chosen clashes. But fear not, 
We continue with your suggested clashes next month as February Fanny is upon us. So, if you do have a clash to suggest, email us at show at clashpod.com with a reason for your suggestion, and we may try and do it. But back to today, Chris, who do we have to thank for this clash? Chris Bowman, who says, Thanks for making Monday mornings brighter. Who knew the drive to work after the weekend could be enjoyable? It's been a brilliant year from your show and can't wait for all the future clashes. And he suggests two movies. Movies about prohibition, plus Costner v. Hanks. Both films to me have a classic feel and timeless look. I must admit I have a super soft spot for The Untouchables, and although I'm not always the biggest Costner fan, I love it. Uh, the score, the set pieces, Connery, Garcia, possibly the coolest and slickest character in any gangster film. Road to Perdition is also brilliantly acted and with a similarly big cast. Hanks playing against type, Newman in his last role, Law, Craig, Tucci and more. It's dark and tense. Great movie. I love that. That's good. That's what we mean when we say give us a reason. <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? Give us yeah, a reason. Comprehensive. That was fantastic. And I agree with Chris Bowman. I think I'm not madly in love with Costner in everything he does, but in this, I think he's fantastic. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. I don't. Oh. But, I, but I normally like him in everything, so wow. I, he gets a bit of a pass. Do you know what? I was just checking. I, I haven't... I don't think I've written the verdict, so I don't think I can decide. So that's fun, isn't Ooh. it? Oh, hooray! <laughs> normally she ruins the Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra jeopardy. <laughs> Extra jeopardy and and unprofessionalism. But nevertheless, okay. The clue V gave on last week's show was what again? Now let me welcome everybody to the Wild Wild West, mm, which yep. is so obvious. <laughs> uh, well, apparently so, because what did you follow up with on Twitter, Chris? Now, nothing. Uh, did someone get it? Yeah. Fuck you, motherfuckers. <laughs> you fucking rinsed me. You always do. <laughs> Fuck you. So, yeah, I, I think what happened is everyone got the untouchables. Yeah. And then it was just everyone then guessing. it's a short leap. It yeah. was guessing every other gangster movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is fine. And someone got there. Yeah. Well, in fact, so we owe you an apology, Vicky. Yeah. About bloody time. <laughs> Two people, in fact, got there. Uh, so, uh, the guesses were found bootlegging away on our Twitter, at ClashPod, if you want to give us a follow. We're also on Instagram and TikTok, at ClashPod as well. And if you're in the business for a little extra class, completely free of charge, why not check out our YouTube channel? Subscribe on YouTube, Clash of the Titles. So, uh, who won this week? Well, it's congrats to Arden, who did get it white. But this winner's week, this week's winner, with the... <laughs> I've turned into wow. Barrymore. <laughs> a white. I'm all white. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this week's winner with the first correct guess is long-time listener and multiple winner, Andrew Logan. Well done, Andrew. Your prize is to clean up this town the Chicago way. So, connection section. Uh, Frank Nitty. <laughs> Frank Nitty. <laughs> yes, as I told you both. Yeah. It's Frank Nitty. He's very different, isn't he? he is. Very different. Yeah, I know which one I prefer. Yeah, sure. Mm, do, you, do you want to say now? No jeopardy. Right, good. <laughs> Little test there. It's a new section. <laughs> uh, Tommy Guns. Oh, yeah. Chicago. I mean, there's a lot. It's the same era in the same city. I guess I just Are you going to go through everything? I got worried because you, you said last week you weren't sure whether this was the strongest connection. So I went deep on mm. every bloody obvious thing to make sure this works. Okay, Coats. <laughs> um, Double-breasted cults. <laughs> there's the very tragic death of an innocent child in both yep. uh, films. The, the little girl at the start of Untouchables, yeah. and the and the son in uh, in uh, Road to Perdition, the other son. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, scenery chewing performances. I'd argue that both De Niro and Jude Law go big. Mm. Uh, threatening the accountant slash bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. 
dodgy Irish accents. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know if Connery's even trying, but the odd word here or there slips through. I think he. I think initially because he got the part, he's like, I'll definitely do it. And yeah. then once he got off that bridge, he's like, so we're done with that now. Yeah. Now it's, I'm Scottish. It's what Connery did. It's like you're a Russian submarine captain <laughs> for sure. I am. I know. <laughs> of course. But why couldn't he just Dutch Vidania from, from Scotland? <laughs> I know there's a, a huge Irish community in that part of the world, but he could have just gone and I'm Scottish and that's fine. And everyone's like, that's that's cool. Sure. And I do think I don't think I think Newman slips in and out in his performance as well. I'm even not sure if he's going for it. I don't know whether maybe I miss something and it is a really subtle. Maybe I think he's it's like a naturalised accent. Right. So I think there's he leans into it. You know when he's, he's surrounded by his family, right. but when he's being more professional than no. Okay. Any more? A press no. guy, press Jude Law's press guy. Then there's the press guy in the thing. <laughs> All press right, guy? no, no oh, more. We're done. Her. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Yeah, we're done. There's, oh, he's ca- press, press guy. There's, there's, there's different characters in both movies. <laughs> uh, Tommy guns, gangsters. <laughs> no one did Prohibition era. I was going to say it's the thirties. Prohibition in the thirties. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough then. So on Thursday, we're on a road trip to Perdition, which means today. We're we're touching on The Untouchables. Chris, take us on a journey. The Untouchables is a film in which Elliot Ness forms a crack team to take down Al Capone. They do this by grabbing his business ledger during a raid on the Canadian border, grabbing his bookmaker during a station shootout and killing his main man, Frank Nitti, by throwing him off a roof. Ness also tells Capone he's going to take him down during a standoff at his hotel, then celebrates in his face once he gets done for tax evasion, causing Capone to be held back by his mates like Vicky during Last Orders. (laughs) It's a great film. Only the Canadian raid never happened, the station shootout never happened, Frank Nitti lived for another 12 years and Ness never met Capone. Still great film! <laughs> so that's The Untouchables. When did you first see this one, Vicky? Uh, it's a Mark Parsons VHS. Mm. I believe it's a three-star film from the Halliwell's Guide. So it was on the shelf, he made me watch it. And I've only seen it once, but I have a lot of fondness towards it because it is fun and it's very quite silly. I liked yeah. it. So when I was watching it in the week, Mark informed me, which I wanted to just do a little sense check with you. He says he had the Spectrum game and I didn't believe him because I don't remember it at yeah. all. Yeah, there was a side-scrolling game on okay. the Spectrum. I think the Commodore 64. So people just used to hide behind barrels yeah. a lot. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That was every Spectrum game. <laughs> it was every movie tie-in game, certainly. <laughs> Probably made by Ocean, Robocop, yeah. yep. Teenage Mutant Ninja. <laughs> yeah. Side-scroll the shit out of that. Yeah. Um, I think we need to catalogue the Mark Parsons collection just yeah, so we God. know just so we know what's true and what isn't here oh okay <laughs> so you mean be- catalogue with him how many, so how many were there oh god there were loads okay there I remember loads. Them, okay so huge. it's believable yeah. that all 300 films we've done <laughs> 500 films we've done were in there uh, Alex uh, I watched it once when I was a kid probably about 8 or 9 so shortly after it came onto VHS remember loving it never watched it again this is the second watch mm. that's mm. it yeah I was saying but I was probably about 12 C- quite Hardcore violent film. Mm, yeah. For, you know, you watched more horror than I did when you were a little kid. This for me was pretty shocking uh, as a child. And then I've seen it a couple of times since. Last time I saw it was about three years ago. Mm. I thought, oh, it's a good film. If ever I launch a podcast, I'd love to talk about it on there <laughs> three years in. <laughs> I launched. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? I did launch a podcast. You collaborated on the launch of a podcast. <laughs> well, I want to, let's not go down this wormhole because there is a genuine dispute about who came up with the name. And oh, I, yeah. think, I think Chris genuinely thinks he came up with the name. But he I'm did. pretty sure that was me. Oh, geez, is that what you what, think? do you think it was you? No, I, I know it wasn't me. I'm sure I'm shit with stuff like that. I can hold my hand up. 
Clash of the Movie Titles is what I said. Oh, yeah. And I was told no. <laughs> and then a month later, <laughs> you had Clash of the Titles. That's what happened. Yeah. Is that really what happened? Yeah. And then uh, our, our glorious overlords went, you need to put movie back in the podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> so people know. And recently we have done just that. So oh Chris wins in the end. So I completely missed out and I told you so. Did you not know this? So annoying. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yeah. Um, right, so a bit of background on this one. Paramount, owned, Paramount even, owned the rights to the Untouchables, uh, the TV show that they'd done in the 1950s. Uh, producer Art Linson developed it. He hired a writer, David Mamet. Not bad going there. Brian De Palma needed a hit. He read Mamet's script. He liked it. We're off to the races. So now this film, it looks like a star-studded cast, but it really wasn't then um, because Garcia and Costner were pretty much unknown. Certainly Garcia was. Uh, but Brian De Palma spoke to Kevin Costner as he liked him in the film Silverado. Have you ever seen Silverado? I have no. not. It's a good one. Really? It's a good one. One to think about for the future. Um, Costner said no. I ain't interested. Um, so De Palma went to Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson said, mm, maybe... But then it conflicted with another job called Lethal Weapon. So we lost out on Mel Gibson as Elliot Ness. Right choice, though, for Mel. Right choice for Mel. He would have been a good Elliot Ness, though, mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was good. I mean, I know he's, he's not good now, but, <laughs> but in was. his day. Yeah. I, just, I watched Signs at the weekend. Oh, really? <laughs> so good. Love him. Uh, the studio said, get Costner, we don't need a star. De Palma said, we do need a star. So he's on that bandwagon. Art Linson pushes for Costner. De Palma speaks to all of Kevin Costner's previous directors. And they all said, this kid's got something. Um, and so Costner read the script that Mamet had written. He liked it. Um, and De Palma said when he spoke to him, he was affected by his sincerity. Uh, which he felt was perfect for Elliot Ness. Mm. And I think that does come through. You can see why he was cast. Whether you like the performance or not, he sort of exudes a decency to the point of almost boring. Well, that's uh, that's why I don't... It's not that I don't like Kevin Costner. It's that... Yeah, I think he does a brilliant job as Elliot Ness because he is like a SWAT, isn't he? Like he's like ruining the party and ruining mm. the fun. And whether or not that's true of the real Elliot Ness, Kevin Costa embodies that. Like when they are, what they they print the thing when he does the newspaper thing with the parasols, and they're like, "Ha ha, you idiot!" And he can't take a joke. He puts it up on his board because he's like, "I'm burning with this," and it's mm-hmm. like, "God, you're so annoying." But he plays annoying. Very well. But also, I think, when you get to later, Costner, he was like, I'm going to write it, direct it, produce it, do yeah. the theme tune. You can't really <laughs> escape that sort of ego off camera sure, yeah. when you're watching him on camera. But here, he was just a young actor. So you sort of feel there's something more innocent about him. Yeah. I, I think of him as, I always uh, compare it to Seinfeld, where I always think of Seinfeld, Seinfeld never makes me laugh in that sitcom. Mm. He's the straight man to mm. these three more colourful characters around him. And you need him in the middle of it all for, it all, for them to work. And I think that's what's happening here. You need this straight man for these other more interesting people to sort of um, be around him. Yeah, and also, I mean, when you put De Niro doing what De Niro does in this, you can't, you have to have, like you say, someone Mm. just a lot, a lot smaller in their performance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They nearly got that in Bob Hoskins. We're getting there. Mm. Um, Andy Garcia read for Frank Nitti. They wanted him to play the heavy, uh, but he convinced them to let him read for Stone. Why? Um, It's a less, it's a less substantial role. Are you kidding? No, I, I think he's underused. I think he's in, amazingly introduced, and then they forget about him. No, they do. No, apart from the the pram. Yeah, bit. exactly. That's yeah, where no, he's right. throwing the gun. Take him. It's oh. fucking amazing. But he's sort of missing in the middle. He's set. Oh, he's so. He's for fucking. He's fit as obviously. Mm. So like, why are we not with him much, much more? Um, but he's just forgotten about. It. He's just there as an accessory uh, in the middle, and then he gets that big thing. At but the Frank Nitti must have a what six words in the whole thing. It's not. And he's a yeah, villain. but he's the antagonist. It's cool. Like mm. he do, he moves the story along. Sure. 
anyway, that's just my opinion. Yeah, oh, valid. Thanks. I, I see you. <laughs> you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't. Um, Connery. <laughs> Connery got interested when he heard David, David Mamet was writing the script. He liked the idea of playing an old dog teaching a new dog tricks. Irish, you say? <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> I've got that. That's my speciality. Can't you hear? Because this is what it is. Yeah, let me show you the accent right now. It's hello. I'm alone. It's an insane. Fantastic. Do that on the day. <laughs> it's an insane period. In the space of three years, he plays a Spaniard, an Irishman, and a Russian. <laughs> and he doesn't trying any of no. them to the point that in the in red october they just they take they just remove it in the first minute don't they mm. everyone uh, speaks in their own language apart from like one bloke which i never tim curry isn't it? Is it tim curry or sam neil anyway it's um it's just bizarre he's not trying these are three of his biggest roles at the, the tail end of his career and he didn't try in any of them <laughs> i i think it is tim curry who does the accent because you, say, is, to, you, yeah. you say to tim curry you don't have to do an accent he's like I'm obviously going to do an accent. <laughs> Spice. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, so you've got four different actors playing four different characters and Costner felt that there was an element of them all playing themselves with Connery as the leader, him being the stiff, um, Garcia being a bit hot-headed and uh, Charles Martin Smith being this sort of unlikely one that shouldn't really be part of this mm. gang. Mm. But gets really into it. Yeah. Just before he dies. <laughs> he deserves it. Um, so for Al Capone, again, the studio said, we don't need a star. Wow. Um, because it's such a big name, uh, and the, the film title, the character, we, we can cast anyone in this role that can do it. Um, but they liked Bob Hoskins, and uh, they famously uh, made a deal uh, for Bob Hoskins, but at the same time, De Palma was pushing for De Niro. And I'm going to play this little clip of Bob Hoskins uh, describing what happened next. I got a phone call from, um, I got sent the script of The Untouchables. And De Palma said, take a look at the, you know, Al Capone and meet me in the bar. So I went to the, um, whatever, you know, it's this bar. And uh, he said, the first thing he said was, well, really, I want De Niro to play this part. I said, oh, great, I'm glad I'll come. <laughs> you know? And uh, he said, but, like, he's a bit difficult to get an answer out of. If he won't do it, would you do it? I said, yeah, if I'm free, yeah. I'm, I ain't holding myself open, like, you know. Yeah. So he said, OK. And um, next thing I know, De Niro's playing the part. I read it in a paper. Well, well, you know, he got him. Um, Linda and me are sitting there having breakfast one morning. Linda's opening a post. I said, what's this? And it was a cheque for $200,000. To you, to me. they sent yeah. you a letter with two hundred thousand. Who sent it? It was. He said, "Thanks for your time, love, Brian." I phoned him up and said, "Brian, listen, you got any films you don't want me to be in, babe? I'm here for you." Any day. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I Do you think that was? That is that De Palma's money or is that studio money? Because, studio money, really? Yeah, because he signed a contract. Right. Okay. Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah. So he's basically kind of fired for no like constructive dismissal. Yes, but, but he knew in advance that it was a likelihood, right, so okay. he wasn't upset about it. I no. mean, he was upset, but like. It, it helped. It numbed the pain. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but he knew he was going to get that money. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, yeah. what a surprise. But there was issues with De Niro because he wanted a fortune and the studio said no. And they kept saying to De Palma, you've got Bob Hoskins. You paid for Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> but De, pa De Palma then threatened to walk unless they cast De Niro. And um, Art Linson sorted it out for him. Said, if you think this is going to make a difference to the film. And you know what? I love Bob Hoskins. He's one of my favourite writers of all time. But... It's a better film with De Niro playing mm. 
um, Al Capone. Yeah. Even though he doesn't really look like him. Too big. And He's too old. Because he was obsessed, wasn't he, De Niro, with the shape of his face. He wanted it to be rounder because Capone's face was rounder. And mm. I think, I don't know, I think he... I mean, I've only got one memory of Capone, which is like the still from when I went to Alcatraz and he was one of the inmates and you see his face. And then I think there's a similarity there. Well, they were just worried because when he showed up on set, he was, uh, as Art Linson described it, he was pencil thin and soft-spoken and I said to Brian, we're fucked. <laughs> uh, but they shot a lot of the, the Capone stuff at the end of the shoot. And he put on weight. You know, he's wearing a bodysuit. They, they, they filled out his face. Mm-hmm. And he filled out his face with pizza, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, job done. He looks good. He looks like a powerful man. Yeah, they sorted out his hair. They gave him the scar. And, and when he does that grin, it's incredibly menacing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, lovely stuff. So behind the scenes, um, De Palma wanted to... Oh, the DP, not De Palma. I've written that down wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, wanted to shoot it in black and white. Studio said, no, no. we ain't doing that. No. But it would I make... would not have watched it. AJ, <laughs> no way. Black and like white. Ever. No, probably still. Yeah. It does make total sense, though, because you only ever saw these people in black and white, and The Untouchables originally was in black and white. And so I can see why they were pushing for it. Yeah, but when you've got Giorgio Armani directing... Um, Providing the costumes, yes. you're like, you probably want to see those in colour. Mm. Yeah. They're all dark. <laughs> They're all black or grey. Yeah, true. Uh, but as you say, um, Armani suits all mm. over the place. Everyone looks great. They look great. You know, they've, they've managed to get period cars from the time. And it was tricky shooting it around Chicago because there were lots of new high rises. But it's just, you just feel like you're taken back to a time and a place watching this film, don't you? Mm. Um, and as I said, um, none of it happened. Mm. That's it. We talk about the film. I mean, the fact that he wasn't even involved, really, Elliot Ness, in the income tax prosecution. That wasn't even part of his case. No. I, I guess that's what Charlie Martin Smith's character is there for, to sort of add that aspect to it, even mm. though he wasn't part of the Untouchables, the guy that did do that. But who cares? Yeah. It's a good story. Exactly. I'd rather a fun story than an accurate story. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's get into this one. So, 1930 is the year, it's the time of Al Capone. Doesn't corruption look great? Mm. It's just, it, it's, it's, I think they compared it on one of the documentaries I watched, the guys who made it, to Nazi Germany or Capone being Louis Fourteenth. It's just opulence everywhere you look. Mm. It's got that uh, Wolf of Wall Street vibe where, um, what's his face? The guy who's investigating Jordan um, is like, he like goes home on the subway oh, and all yeah, of that. Yeah, like yeah. really sort of like, he's got nothing, but crime pays. Yeah. He's being shaved, uh, Al Capone, and the barber nicks him and everyone's waiting and holds their breath and it's clever because there's no violence in that scene mm. but the threat of violence is so palpable that you know you're in in the presence of someone really frightening mm. um and he's already giving his he only speaks in speeches in this film <laughs> i think he's got maybe five or six scenes and every scene it's a series of speeches but he talks about i'm responding to the will of the people he's a businessman he gets further with a kind word than a gun it's amazing where the press laugh at him because you've got this guy who's like clearly evil, but he makes people laugh. So he's got that kind of like folk hero vibe going on. But oh, mm. yeah, but why not? Because <clears throat> if you think about prohibition, lasted a really long time and was the temperance movement sort of getting their own way. But it wasn't necessarily like a wide sweeping. It wasn't like a democratic thing, like the, the will of the people. And 
human beings have for a very long time used substances for whatever. And so just because prohibition is a thing doesn't mean everyone suddenly stops drinking. So if you're rich, you will still drink. Mm -hmm. And if you're poor, you'll drink shit stuff and kill yourself. So (laughs) Al Capone obviously is a criminal, but when you criminalise alcohol, then a criminal can rise to the top of society because people still want this stuff. Like making it illegal doesn't stop people from wanting it. And that folk hero element, you can think that a man like Al Capone, people are never just one thing, Alex. I don't know if I've mentioned that but you have yes he's a baddie but also he's got every right to say i'm just giving the people what they want because he is yeah so i mean i'd totally be on board with him i'd be like you've got booze i mean the thing is obviously like i in prohibition i don't think i would have suddenly been like well that's that for me Mm. then (laughs) like i would have found a way of doing it but i wouldn't have had enough money to like drink clean stuff so i would have been drinking what did they drink um i imagine you would have been making moonshine Mm. if i'm honest i can see actually mark probably would probably does (laughs) (laughs) so what's this cocktail it's a jet pilot a margarita just drink it. Just drink, don't ask any questions. <laughs> um, man in a white suit, who we later learn is Frank Nitty, um, blows up a little girl. Yeah. Shocking. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like uh, the first De Palma doing Hitchcock moment, though, because that's straight out of a Hitchcock uh, thriller. Elliot Ness is reading that headline then, and his wife tells him, now it's time to go to work. And she's got a proud little note for him. So with this, can I ask, Kevin Costner, I always get the timeline confused. He's not a big star, is he, at this point? No, no so he's been in films, first... but he's not name above the title. So why is it that this, the, the movement of the camera, the direction of this scene is so like, there's a big star here, everyone, and I will not show you his face. You see... Is it Patricia Clarkson, and his wife, and she's like, oh, it's time, I'm such a brilliant wife, whatever, it's time to go. And his, Kevin Costner's face is kept away from you, as if mm. they're going to do the reveal in a minute, like, da-da, it's so-and-so. It's but- because Elliot Ness is a household name. They're okay. revealing the character. It's like revealing Superman. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right, fine. That's and what also, I would say. Kevin Costner's beautiful. God, he and is. And so you sort of, <laughs> people know what he looks like, so you're just waiting. Yeah. Just sitting on the edge of that seat going, show me those eyes. <laughs> Show uh, me those baby blues. <laughs> Vic, how do we feel about his very boring, very supportive wife, Patricia Clarkson? <laughs> oh, my God. Is, fucking insane. What did I write down? <laughs> Best wife ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't... It's not... She gets barely anything to say, so let's not sort of put it with that character's door. But later on, it makes me laugh. I don't know if it's meant to make me laugh, where he's like, she's just somewhere talking about kitchen pain or something. She exists in a world in which pain still matters. And it's like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) She's your wife. You have a very dangerous job. Let's take it out of the sort of real, like, fictional Elliot Ness. You are living life dangerously. You're on the edge. And you've just had another baby. That's craziness. And her reaction is like, shall I paint the kitchen blue or shall I paint it yellow? Like, she'd have more to say. It's Charlize Theron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my God, who I love, obviously. But she's meant to have gone fucking mental. (laughs) The uh, The devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the bit where he misses the birth, turns up, goes, I might die soon. And her words are, I understand. I know. I really do. And she's like, I I wanted to be, I know you did. Fucking try harder than that. Uh, So Elliot Ness is a special agent of the Treasury Department and his job is to stop the flow of illegal liquor. He meets his men and he says to them, I know that many of you take a drink. Now we must be pure. 
I'm not sure your army of Irish cops are going to be having that. <laughs> no, they don't. But let's just show his naivety, isn't it? That he thinks that will do it and they'll go, oh, yeah. OK, cool, no problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we've got to show that he, he doesn't start out on the best foot, really. There's a large shipment of Canadian whiskey arriving in Chicago, apparently. Turns out it's umbrellas. Yeah. <laughs> Famous Canadian whiskey. <laughs> and then we have uh, I, what I think is a poor headline. Uh, Crusader cop busts out. He throws the newspaper in the river and he gets told off by a cop called Malone. On a bridge. Symbolism, symbolism. (laughs) Uh, He tells uh, Malone off back. Uh, I did have a question here for you. Always like to pepper in questions. You you do. You do always like to pepper in the odd question. uh, The question is, how are we feeling about Sean Connery's accent? (laughs) Oh, I think we've covered it. Yeah. Yeah. It's abysmal. I wrote, he said he was doing an Irish accent. It's like me saying I'm currently doing a Dutch accent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, it's a nice scene between the pair of them. Uh, that you, you see their skills, their intelligence, and the fact that there's always a respect from them from the off yeah. uh, between each other. Uh, and we cut from that to Capone having breakfast. And again, it, it gives him a second big entrance. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or arguably, every scene is a yeah. big no, entrance. Even though he yeah, yeah, comes yeah. down the sweeping yeah. staircase. Yeah. Yeah. At the breakfast, he doesn't move. No, I mean, but the, the camera comes to yeah, him. But that's what I mean. You still yeah. feel like he has come to you, even yeah, though he's not yeah. moved a muscle. And with the barber's chair as well, he doesn't. he barely moves. Yeah, and it's so, it like, in some ways, it's the barber's chair thing is he is so invulnerable and untouchable himself that he can be vulnerable because someone has a razor to mm. his throat, but there's no way that anything untoward would happen because of who he is. And the breakfast in bed thing, I think it can be quite infantilising, like, or like you're ill. And maybe that's just because that would only ever happen to me if I was an infant or ill. But it's quite a vulnerable place to be in bed. And Don't then, the boys ever bring you breakfast no. in bed? <laughs> Not <laughs> no. Not one. Oh, I'm going to have a word with Mark. Uh, Not even on your birthday? No, 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 I'm just doing a little... Not even a cup of coffee? A cup of coffee, maybe, yeah. Um, I know what we're doing for Vicky on her birthday this year. Are you going to come round to my house for breakfast? Yeah, Yeah. I've got a set of keys. (laughs) (laughs) What what breakfast are we making? (laughs) Eggs. Eggs, Eggs. loads of eggs. Just loads of eggs. (laughs) Every different kind. Eggs five ways. I would yeah. love it. This is giving <laughs> buckets of bo- we've boiled some eggs. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But it is true. Like every scene where Capone is completely motionless, he's also in a scene where he's in control. Yeah, and whenever he's in motion. It's where something has gone wrong or he's angry. Oh, wow. When he's walking around the table at the big dinner. Oh, yeah. Just before he bats someone in the head, when he mm. loses his cool with Ness on the stairs. Yeah. Both those That's moments. interesting because they say that stillness is power and power is stillness sometimes, don't they? Mm. Oh, that's very good, Al. Um, so we're into building the team now because uh, Ness wants to start a team. He wants Malone on that team. Malone does not want to be on that team. He just wants to stay alive. It's more important for me to stay alive. Um, excellent. Thank you for that. <laughs> yep. um, Irish. Irish accent there. We're sticking to script structure here, though. This is the refusal of the call. It is, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, we meet accountant Oscar Wallace, played by Charles Martin Smith, and he's assigned to work with um, Elliot Ness uh, and he from the off says Capone hasn't filed his income tax and mm. I like this kind of writing because it lets the audience be ahead of the characters I found it a bit frustrating 
Okay. I do you think it happens him. too early? Yeah, because I do. he's repeating himself several times, yeah. isn't he? And we all know how it goes. Yeah. So when Kevin Costner ignores him, you're like, oh, that's frustrating because I'm just waiting for you to go, what's that now? Tax evasion. Cool. To be, for Wallace to be ignored straight away, it's, it's funny at first. And then you're like, that's just frustration because mm-hmm. we all know that you need to listen to him. And it goes on a bit longer each time. Like the first time yeah. he goes, hey, there's te- income tax evasion. He's like, shut up, not that. And then on the train, he goes, it's income tax evasion. He goes, tell me more. Yeah. And then he goes, and still shut up. It's like, he's like, just a bit longer and a bit longer. No, 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 no. Um, we get Malone's speech about the Chicago way oh. um, in church holding a rosary. So this was originally written to be on the street, but Connery was the one who said, let's do it in church. Um, he said, I'm an Irish Catholic. I'm talking in a sacred place. Um, no one would eavesdrop there. Yes, it- you are, Sean. You're an Irish <laughs> Catholic. Glad you said it. <laughs> and of course, famously, you've got the heeple. Oh, sorry, do you want to say it, Alex? Well, I... He pulls a gun. You pull, no, he pulls a knife. You pull a gun. <laughs> I can't do it. I've lost it. Even me. I don't want to do this. Even anymore. me. Even me. <laughs> the man of a thousand voices. He's lost his Connery. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think we just need to take a minute. <laughs> wow. That's, that's astounding. That even was, that was an, a slip up even, on my part. Even Rory Bremner over there. <laughs> Had an issue. I don't know. I love you for that. I do love you for that. I forgot to pretend. (laughs) The mask has slipped. Yes, me. In a voice, be humble. Be humble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Uh, But this film is one of the few times I can remember being aware of the Oscars. I guess I was eight or nine when it Uh came out. And I just remember this clip being on the telly all the time because... I guess all the chat would have been about Connery's going to win an Oscar. Finally, Connery's going to get his Oscar. And so in the run up to the Oscars and then afterwards, I just remember seeing this. It was just the perfect Oscar clip. Mm, it was great. It's Oscar bait. The way it's shot as well, like the just the angle of mm. like Costner's head in the foreground and Connery just behind him. It looks it looks immaculate. And, and they're in a church and it's, it's almost biblical what he's saying because he's taking an eye for an eye to the next level, essentially. And um, can you explain the saying, this town stinks like a whorehouse at low tide? Because I didn't understand it. Uh yeah, I can. Great. Because it would Did they build them on beaches? Not beaches. Like oh. um well maybe. Sorry, that was I don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> oh. Not not beaches. <laughs> sorry, I don't Are you know. kidding? <laughs> on a beach. Um by can- so sandal getting everything. <laughs> by canals and rivers. Right. Like back in the day, a long time ago, you would build these low structures, you would build hmm. these low structures, and it would wash out the latrines when the tide went down. So okay. so that's why it would smell. Why specifically would a whorehouse smell that bad. I imagine what he's in is inferring that the standards of hygiene and cleanliness are lower than in perhaps a hostelry or right. a private residence. Oh, I Because Alex doesn't know he's never been to one. Oh, right. Sorry. Got it. Right, of course. And I do build them for a living. So. I, I figured it was best if you took this one. That's why I was cross about the beaches. I can't crack that market. <laughs> um, they shake hands in the church. And I think it's De Palma who said the idea here is it's like the fingers t- touching in the Sistine Chapel because suddenly life sparks in both of them as okay. this relationship begins. <laughs> Pretentious much. <laughs> this is basically the Sistine Chapel right now. <laughs> when do we get uh, some of the quotes on Thursday's episode? <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to love those, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ness doesn't want rotten apples. Um, he's going to recruit more people and he wants unmarried men. That is very important. Mm. Um, we meet George Stone. I can be the only one who's married. <laughs> It'll interfere with my character. <laughs> uh, we meet George Stone, played by Andy Garcia, whose real name is Giuseppe. So we get some... Uh, fruity language. Fruity language. Thieving wop. Mm. Stinking Irish pig. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
But it's definitely a case of Garcia shooting his shot mm. when he shows up and he's in the presence of Connery and he absolutely goes for it and it's inspiring to watch. He's, he's incredible. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So good. He doesn't even say very much in that no, scene. No. It's, it's when he laughs at him and he's like, oh, you're on the team and he just goes, okay. Or he says, yeah, or something like that. Like one word and you're like, oh yeah. my God. Like, it's so good. Still quite a big swing to have an argument with a superior officer and pull a gun on <laughs> yeah, them I was in a, a fight. He's a maverick. He's a maverick. <laughs> a real fucking maverick. Yeah. It's like, it's like we, we don't want him. He's not well. <laughs> yeah. He's got some real anger issues. But the um, the language that Sean Connery is using here, the um, uh, racist language? Yes. What, um, yeah. So I thought he was doing it. He's like, I'm winding this kid up because I want to see what he's made of. And so I'm using these epithets because it will get a rise out of him. We'll see what he does. But... So I was like, okay, that's f- not fine. But uh, within the you know rough and tumble of this, I get it. But then he does it at the end. To the, his assassin. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, what? so is that who you are? Am I supposed to feel... So- I don't know. I mean, you could argue that in both those cases, he's... Uh, in the first case, like you say, he's trying to get a rise yeah. out of stone. And in the second case, he's dealing with someone who was just about to kill him. Sure. So perhaps his emotions run high. But yeah, yeah. I see your point. He's also an old school racist, yeah. maybe, sure. you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we talk about this sometimes when we do films like this. I mean, are they just using the vernacular of the time that they would imagine this This is the language this man would use? Yeah, yeah. it's just he, whether or not you he, want to feel sorry, who you want, sorry, not feel sorry for him, but like who you want him, who you think he is. I yeah, guess. but people are more than just one thing. They are. <laughs> have you heard that? Um. I don't know whether you know, but I think I may have told you before. Uh, you can add that into your I'm a sensitive guy routine yeah. and you can say to a woman at some point, I've just sort of realised over the years, you know, hey, people aren't just one thing and she will fucking love it. You can have that from me. I appreciate what you've just said and I see you. <laughs> you can't really keep repeating it. Thank you. <laughs> um, who, sa- who said that? <laughs> I uh, I like the bit where the police chief sees uh, Malone in his civvies and goes, uh, Jimmy, what the hell are you dressed for? Halloween says a man who has no idea what Halloween is. <laughs> it's like, really? This is a brown suit. Well, it's very meta, isn't it? It's like, I've come in a period costume. <laughs> uh, fun fact, uh, Connery's the only one who didn't wear an Armani suit. Oh, he okay. said my character wouldn't, and he wore his own clothes, apparently, what? by all accounts. <laughs> okay. and, and used his own accent. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break now, but we're going to come back with their first assignment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back with the first assignment. I appreciate the Police Academy reference. No problem, Al. That was for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I see you. Uh, say it to him. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> no, you feel sick. I'm not trying to chat him up. You feel sick. I'm not trying to chat you up. Uh, they're going on a liquor raid at a post office. Um, and this is when the... Well, we've already had some great Ennio Morricone music oh, in this film. Oh, that's but this is when star. the most stunning bit of score kicks in and it lifts you out of your seat. Mm. And it's funny, the uh, the actors were saying that when they all saw it together in a private screening room in New York just before the premiere, and uh, it, they just said that that scene was along a lots of scenes and lots of takes and lots of stuff going on. And to see it cut together as a montage with this music they'd never heard, they were just like, oh, we're in a, we're in a movie here. Oh, and uh, Kevin, what do you think of my Irish accent? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great, Sean. Uh, they say, if you walk through this door now, you're walking into a world of trouble and there's no turning back. Um, this is really playing by all the screenwriting rules because they're crossing the threshold now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's telling us and them that they're crossing the threshold. Um, they arrest everyone, they impound everything, and they beat the crap out of everyone. Mm. Some pretty hardcore police violence going on in this film. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sort it's of the a Chicago way. It Chris. is, it is. It's the the death wish right wing ruined by Chicago town pizza. Because possibly <laughs> yeah. potentially, yeah. Pizza. The Chicago way. The point being that Elliot Ness's thing is um no alcohol. Uh, it's the law. I don't it's basically like I don't really give a shit what it is, but the law is the law kind mm. of thing. And you can imagine that those cops that he sees at first, he's like, I understand you guys take a drink. They're obviously all probably on the make a little bit. They're probably turning a blind eye yep. in return for booze and all the rest of it. But his purity of mission or honour does not extend to violence. So it's he's picking and choosing as well. Because as a police officer, you're not entitled to beat the shit out of people, mm. even back then, I think. Like, I'm sure the use of reasonable force was maybe a bit <clears throat> more lax yeah. or whatever. But So he's he's all right with that, but he's not all right with alcohol. And that's good because it's sort of moral complexity, isn't it? He isn't just a, an avenging angel kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Enthusiasm. Baseball. Teamwork. Oh, wait, before that, just one aside. You know when they've done the first mission and it's gone well and they have the photograph taken yeah. in the cafe? Yeah. The way Malone sits, the way Connery poses for that photo is so good because it's like, I guess photos still weren't that commonplace and he sort of changes from this quite... I don't know, like hard, old, you know, weather-worn cop. And he just sort of sits up like a school kid having yeah. his photograph taken. <laughs> he sits up really straight and sort of like poses because it's still special to him yeah. to have his photograph taken. I, I do that. <laughs> 
Um, De Niro so uh, commanding and charismatic in that scene. I remember it being very upsetting as a child. It's great. Uh, I definitely shut my eyes a second into it. And so in my head, you see a lot more than you actually do. I think you see one crack, don't you? And you see the blood spreading. Yeah. But we really cut to him and the other people when he's doing the hitting. So it's all in your head, really. spattered with blood. And then the guy when the pool, the blood's pooling around Mm. his head and it's shot from the top and his cigars all crumpled in the blood. It's great. I'm trying to get a sense if this is based on a true story or not. And I read a version of it where he killed three people with a baseball bat and another where he didn't kill anyone. Mm. So um, it, anyway, it's intercut with, uh, or, or it cuts straight to Elliot Ness putting his kids to bed. So frustrating as sort of the family aspect of it is, it is important to show this contrast between this family man and this bloke who just has no morals whatsoever. Yeah. And his wife says, do you want to come upstairs and brush my hair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which hair? <laughs> oh, Great yeah. point, Chris. It's code for <laughs> hello. Would it be if he began? What, but what hair? Some though? Merkin fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd probably take a Merkin off to brush it, though. Ah, uh, gosh, would you? Um, it depends how hard it is to attach and unattach. If you've glued it on, mm. you're probably gonna not bother. Yeah, but I mean, I think you'd probably take it off at night. And anyway. Would it have its own little stand? Well, a merkin stand. I don't know, because you're not sure who's going to come if you have a workman round in there. He's like, oh, what's that? It's a merkin on your bedside table. You'd probably keep it in a drawer. <laughs> oh, that's such a good point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent point. Thought for the future, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got an attempted bribe by the alderman here. And the reason I bring that up, because he's played by someone called Del Close. Do you know Del Close? No. Who are we talking about? Which character? The alderman, the the, the man who's funny, almost a bit funny looking. He's got funny teeth, and he tries to bribe Elliot Ness. In his oh office. yes, yeah, he looked really familiar. Yeah, he's. I don't. I think his name is more familiar than he is. But I, I'm I'm a real geek for LA comedy scene in the seventies and Saturday Night Live, and I love reading about that period. And he is the guy. He that actor was the godfather of comedy improvisation. So this these were his improv students. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, John Candy, Tina Fey, John Favreau, Bill Murray, Mike Myers, Amy Poehler, Bob Odenkirk, Harold Ramis, Jason Sudeikis, Vince Vaughn. Wow. He is the guy. He's responsible for most of the comedy we like that comes out of America. (laughs) Yep. And even he didn't like Four Christmases. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's the guy who says you folks think you're untouchable. So I like it. The title in the the dialogue in the title, the title in the dialogue. Um, so, um, this is the moment now where, um, uh, our man meets Frank Nitti, played by Billy Drago, who says to him, nice to have a family. Yeah. What do we think of Billy Drago's look in this film? Fantastic. So you're, you're smiling and saying fantastic. Vicky is just shaking her head. I don't want to be d- down on the way. So I just don't, it's too ghoulish. Like... I don't know. It just is a. Pretty... I mean, that is his face. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. That's awful thing to say, isn't it? Like, <laughs> what you mean is, look, I think that you mean we're talking about the white suit. I think it's great. It's a guy because he's so into what he does. Like, if he was just dressed regular, I mean, like, I think the costumes in this versus Road to Perdition, like, this wins hands down. But yeah. also, it's like it's a guy who fancies himself, who thinks it's cool what he does. Sure, I see that. I just it's not very practical. I, I mean, you. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can get me a drink, no problem. Um, what was I going to say? It's just that, well, he's covered in blood. He will be covered in blood a lot of the time. Like, he has an assassin role in mm. this. So the white thing is like, that's impractical. Like, you could do the, you could do the cool thing, you, like cool uniform with black. Mm. I don't know. Just... This is very Brian De Palma, though, isn't it? His yeah. direction does tend to draw attention to what he's doing. And he's yeah. saying to the audience, 
look at this guy from from the first minute. This person is important, but also I don't give a fuck that he would never wear a white suit. Yeah, I like the look of red on white. Therefore, yeah. he's wearing a white suit for <laughs> yeah. that. I love that color. I like red on everything. Basically. <laughs> yeah, it's just I do. You know, I just I found him very scary. I found him very ghoulish. I'm supposed to. He's like a grim reaper rather mm. than like a person. And if you know that Frank Nitti's real, and, and then you see him like with the way Stanley Tucci does it, it's just so much more. There's depth to that, and there's a shallowness here. I think he's on purpose to make him seem like an apparition kind of thing. Mm. It's just not for me, but I don't know why. Stalwart of 80s action cinema, though, wasn't he? If you needed a henchman or a bad guy, yeah. he'd pop up. It just has one of those faces. Yeah. Um, so uh, they decide they're going to link uh, Capone to the money. That is the job now. So they head to Canada. And we're suddenly on horses, on the wide open plains, on the border. Um, and this is De Palma and Mamet saying they wanted to do something just different with the gangster movie, take it out of Chicago, make it like a John Ford film, because this is all about the idea of pure good versus pure evil. They wanted to make it look a bit different visually, give it another texture, stick it in another genre. Um, interestingly, this was originally them running. Instead of being on horseback? Yeah, and it, they rehearsed it and they apparently look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you look ridiculous. I'd love it if all these cool guys just couldn't run well. Just flailing arms. And I'm not sure about the comedy Canadian Mounties, the Canadian police, the leader. It's, it's, mm. it's a bit too broad. I'm not sure I believe in your methods. I just, I think, and like Wallace goes berserk, like, like berserker mm. kind of thing. And I think that's meant to be for comedic effect and I really hate it. Yeah, I just don't. It's also where am I? Like, I'm in, I'm in a world of real violence where real things can happen. A child got killed at the start, all the rest of it, and then he like didn't he like kick someone in the balls and they like fall down dead. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. It's interesting because. I I mean, I'm buying to him going berserk. He's just seen his friend Stone get shot and I think he's fucking angry here and I I, I like seeing that. But the moment where he drinks the whiskey, because yeah. um, th- there's a bullet hole in the whiskey, um, he didn't want to do that scene, Smith. He said uh, he kept worrying that his character was turning into a buffoon, um, which you're agreeing with, yeah. I think. And, and De Palma said to him, no, I'm going to have them laughing with you until you die, which will really work for your character. And I'm sort of more on that side, but... Yeah, he was concerned. He had that concern mm. as and well. So, I mean, bearing in mind, we actually hear Ness at the start say, I don't want anyone to drink. You imagine that he's brought that same theory to the Untouchables. Guys, don't drink. And it sort of seems disrespectful to his boss to then take a drink, even as a joke. <laughs> Are you being serious? Yeah. <laughs> don't you think? He's just killed three men for the first time in his life. <laughs> All right. There's in whiskey the, pouring out of a hole next to him. the of reasons <laughs> to have a drink. Yeah, it's a good okay. movie. I'll tell you. Well, when I've killed three men, I'll let you know whether I have it's a whiskey. A, it's a good movie moment. But um, Ness is um, gets upset here. He's regretting the kidding that he's done. He shouts, what is this, a game? Yeah, but it's, what did he think was going to happen? I find this really confusing. I don't mind it because it's an excellent film. But... Malone could not have been clearer. Like, we are going to war. Bad things are going to happen. You need to bring a gun. If you go through that door, there is fucking Mm. warnings all over the place. There's been a scary man outside his house. Nice to have a family. What did you think was going to happen? Then he's like, ah, wife. Can't even remember her name. Wife, where is child? (laughs) Like, whatever. Yes, of course that was going to happen. Like, what the fuck did you think? And then when he kills someone, he's like, ah, I've killed someone. It's like, yes, we know. But I I feel, I don't mind your naivety in that situation, but I do mind the the sort of the anger at your own naivety. Mm. Like, you've been told really clearly. But it's interesting 
It's interesting because they've chosen for the guy who he kills in that moment. It's not a guy who's basically going, I'm not going to put down my gun. Mm. I'm going to shoot you. It's because he doesn't understand him because he doesn't speak English. And so it's almost like Ness kills someone not because they were going to kill him, but because they didn't understand his command, which kind of makes him more culpable for killing them. Yeah, Mm. I agree. Which is dark. Very dark. Um, a bit lighter, though, is Malone threatens and then kills a dead man. <laughs> now, that works. That's um, funny, and that works. He blows right. a dead man's brains out. I, re- I, I was trying to find out if this is the first time we've ever seen that on film, because it's such a great idea. Yeah. It's such a brilliant concept. Yeah. It's so clever. Weekend at Bernie's? <laughs> after this. Yeah, you're right. You're right, after this. Um, and, and don't let him clean himself up until after he talks. <laughs> and so, yes, they as, uh, as you say, they need the ledger. Uh, translated and so that's how they make that happen uh, cut to Capone he's got a speech I want him dead I want his family dead I want to piss on his ashes uh, just great De Niro giving us great De Niro yeah. so good mm. although I would like to see the Hoskins version but loving uh, great De Niro and so uh, they put the warrant out for Capone now and he could get 28 years in prison uh, next up Oscar's death Oh, so we've got a huge, long, what they call a one a, a single shot. And it's De Palma. It's the ticking time bomb. Uh, another Hitchcock sequence that he puts one of these in all his films. Um, Oscar enters the lift. Nitty's working the lift. Nitty kills the witness and Oscar and writes in blood on the wall on uh, Touchable. Touchable. Just think how long that would take yeah. to write Touchable. Dab, would you have to put bullets in different places just to, if you to run get, out of blood? I've yeah, run out of blood to here. To get the resources. I it think stopped you pumping would. out of your tummy. <laughs> I need your bum. It's just, it's, it works so well though when Oscar is all like, yeah, 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 I got to come out shooting and he's all blasé about yeah. it. And then the minute he's blasé, the minute he doesn't respect the job, yeah. dead. Why Why are they letting the accountant dude protect oh, yeah. Frank Mitty? Yeah. Lads! We're in, we're, we've got loads of police officers. <laughs> you know who, how good Stone is at shooting? <laughs> uh, not him. Let's not use him. Uh, Mike, the Irish police chief, uh, actors from Texas. I did want to check his accent. It didn't oh, sound good. Oh, goodness me. Um, he tells Malone not to get involved and to take the day off. So we're looking at him sideways, aren't we, already? Um, and we've got the moment now where Elliot Ness approaches Al Capone. Um, which never happened in his hotel. Uh, I quite like the line, uh, you talk like that to me in front of my son, fuck you, <laughs> your family. It's awesome. Yeah. It's because it you got Elliot. nothing, you got nothing. That's my favourite Nothing, I love that. Yeah. It's because I like it so much because, again, Kevin Costner playing Elliot Ness is like a petty idiot. You don't go and offer Al Capone out for a fight. No. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But it brings... Al Capone, like back down to street level, because he's like, "Who is this person? You're in my home, kind of yeah. thing." I look at everything I have. I'm not even going to talk to you because you're yeah. so far beneath my uh, consideration. And by just golding him and screaming at him and saying, "I'm going to punch you in the face," whatever he says, Al Capone <coughs> then becomes himself, which is like, "Fuck you! You've got nothing," kind mm. of thing. And I like that. I wish it was somehow the undoing of him. Mm. It's not. He's just got him to shout at him in a lobby, and it doesn't. There's no consequences to that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but whatever. That's, I think that's I think much. it's the moment where De Niro almost goes too far I think with the performance right it's the one time I'm taken out of it a little bit I mean, is, is this, this is, and also I'm trying to get a sense of is this Al Capone did you watch Boardwalk Empire no no Stephen Graham plays Al Capone what in that and you know obviously great casting yeah but he's slightly more controlled than this guy. I mean, he gets angry and loses his temper and kills people, but he's slightly more controlled. And I, I just, this is the one moment I'm not 
hundred percent. It's not, but I think I, I think like uh, you said, V. It's the fact that like he's been so suave. He's got all the patter with the press, and you forget that he is just this yeah. brute, this hoodlum, yeah. who's now playing at being decadent and refined. But actually, he's a brawler, and you get to see that in this scene. Mm. Mm. Um, so now the Untouchables are arguing amongst themselves. We've got the Dark Knight of the Soul, and next up is Malone's death. Oh, in a scene called Home Malone. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Why I've called it Malone's death yeah. when that was there, sitting Home there. Malone. That's oh, amazing. my God. Can I tell you something I thought about this and then tell me where this is from? I've seen this film only once before. Mm. Because of the tracking shot, because of the horror film music, because of the... It's gorgeous. I thought Malone had hidden Stone in the shower. And so he knew someone was coming for him. And he was playing it being, I'm just an old man having a drink and nothing to see here. Uh And he knew that someone was coming because, of course, he knew because his old friend with the bad accent just told him, he said, I'm talking to a dead man. And why would a seasoned cop like Malone go, cool, I'll just go home then. Play some music. And play some music and just have a drink. So I was like, no, one of the other gang is in the shower and they're going to burst out and it all still will go wrong and he'll still meet his end but he's he's luring them into a trap yeah i i've literally wrote exactly the same mm. thing down but i thought because again it's been ages since i've seen this i thought the guy was going to follow him from window to window to window and then as malone walked back and he reached the final window malone was going to be standing there with a gun yeah going, yeah yeah that's what I'd have done. Why do we both De think Palmer. that? <laughs> <laughs> this is the creeper sequences, De Palma calls it, though, and he puts one of these in most of his films. Mm. Um, so, And I'm sure we saw one in Scarface and one in Carlito's Way, and we've got to do the horror film at some point. But, yeah, so you've got... You've got um, the camera stalking around the rooms and around the side of the apartment. We've got the killer's point of view, and he's crafting the suspense through all those techniques and tricks that he so much uh, loves. Um, and he gets shot dead, Malone. So, uh, well, not quite. Takes a lot of bullets, but survives till morning. And can talk, yeah. and write, mm. and do most things that a live person yeah. can do. Yeah, but. It- because he's so fucking hard. <laughs> well, Connery's one of the few people I believe that of. I'll say yeah. one of the few actors who does seem yeah. tough enough to take a few bullets. Uh, it's cut with Capone watching opera mm. and crying via split screen intercut with Malone crawling through his apartment. It's very uh, melodramatic. Yeah. Uh, but that's. I feel like that's what you want from this director and this material. Oh, yeah. Um, he managed to get them, give them the message of the um, train bookkeeper uh, is being taken out of town on. The bit where Ness says... Stay to Malone. Honestly, that got me. Really? I loved it, yeah. When he's holding him, he's like, stay. Mm. But he has to die because this is the motivation that Elliot Ness needs to do the stuff he doesn't think he's capable of. Kill mode, go! (laughs) So we've got the station sequence. Um, uh, Again, uh, this is something that De Palma does a lot, a task the protagonist has to do, but these impediments keep getting put in his way. We have seen that a lot in Carlito's way and Scarface. Yep, It's just something he does. Um, In the original script, Mamet had written, uh, this happens with trains crashing into each other, Mm. but they couldn't afford it. Yeah, this is uh, this is great. I mean, if this was in Kalita's way, though, like Elliot Ness would be going, "Come down, <laughs> Jesus!" I cannot Mother tell you baby. how many times I say to myself, "Ain't no friends in this shit business." I, I said it to myself this morning. I say it all the time. Ain't no friends in this shit business. I fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so essentially, uh, David Mamet was working on, I think, his directorial debut at this point. So they had to make this up as they went along, as they couldn't use the scene that they planned. And so you say make it up, not yeah. borrow it wholesale. Well, just nick it. <laughs> yeah. So it's from the battleship Potemkin, the 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 uh, pram f- coming down the steps. Um, I guess the idea is Elliot Ness has just had a baby. And so there's something going on with him there and you've got this innocent in the middle of all the violence and you've got Morricone's music box sort of score. Take the bags to the top of the stairs. Jesus Christ. Go back for the pram. Do them as separate events. I've Don't go this. step by step with bag, pram, bag, pram. It's insane. I've run it a million times because I, I, I was like, what are you doing with this baby? <laughs> That makes sense. For, it makes sense now, but it makes even more sense for the times if the station was busy. Mm. Because she's like, if I put the baby at the top without the bags, I'll steal my baby sure. or they'll steal my bags. It's deserted. Mm. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I've written down too much build-up. Do, do you think there's too much build-up here? It goes on for a long time. To the point where I thought she, again, I know this doesn't sure. happen, I thought she was going to be like, hey, babe, oh, you're being so good. And then was going to yeah. underneath, here's a fucking machine gun, bitch. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. Because women don't have much to do in this. There's one woman in the scene where Wallace gets killed and she comes out of a doorway or out of a lift and she's got this look on her face. Like she's part she's part of the gang somehow. Like she's done something. And then you're like, oh no, you're just an extra just being cool and mm. doing your thing. So I was like, a woman's got to be able to do something. And even though I know it didn't happen, this woman is taking such a long time to do the most basic task that I thought she was a gangster. Yeah, but I mean, you got to remember that's very personal to you because you're the only person I've met who actually carried a gun in their pram when you <laughs> were pushing your children around. I, I know the mean streets of Lewisham. Are- <laughs> you can't say things like that. They'll come for me. <laughs> it, it's just one of those. <laughs> she brings a knife to the crash. You bring a gun. <laughs> I just think you could introduce the characters and show us the geography and get things going a bit quicker. And there there are times with Brian De Palma where I feel like he's wanting to draw attention to himself and what he's doing. And I think he's guilty of it here. This is considered one of the great gangster scenes and I really think it's comp- really overrated. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Takes me, me out of the takes me out of the movie but a little bit. But I don't bit. like I only like it when it gets going. I only like it when he lets go of the pram. We, the we, build up we, is too much. We had so much jeopardy at the start. I don't feel too bad about ruining it, but when we come to my best scene you're going to get a shock, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's overrated by dum-dums. But um <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's cool. <Dumb-dumb. laughs> it's cool that we've set up Stone as the sharpshooter though and it pays off here. Oh, yeah. You got him. Yeah, I got him take him um that is very satisfying uh so we're in court and the bookkeeper's giving everything up if this movie couldn't do even more it ends with a courtroom drama (laughs) i was like oh my god is this the greatest film ever (laughs) we've gone from ultra violence to a courtroom drama not just just a courtroom drama um capone's gonna lose but he's yawning Mm. why is he yawning oh my gosh (laughs) and ness takes nitty outside uh there's some business uh he figured out nitty's got malone's address why has he got malone's address yeah question is 16 34 was seen that hard to remember that you need to write it in your matches it's not yeah i have a bit of a problem here where... have you got have you got it written down yeah well you didn't remember it then <laughs> the cop go the cop gets shot by nitty after ness is like don't oh, no, don't don't let him go yeah. let him go and then the cop goes no i'm not gonna let him go mm-hmm. and then nitty shoots him and the cop hasn't even hit the ground before he says to ness Take my gun! <laughs> and you're like, it's too quick. He needs to be more dying or something. He's like, take my gun. <laughs> um, so we got the rooftop chase, and uh, Ness has Nitty in his sights, but he hesitates. And Nitty smiles and baits him and says, "Come on, arrest me!" And he pulls him up because he's off the side of the building to arrest him. And then Nitty says, "He died like a pig." <laughs> and Elliot Ness pushes him off the roof, <laughs> and he smashes into a car. Did he sound anything like that? <laughs> 
Great. That's, the, that's the Chicago way. Yeah. He's asked, where's Nitty? He's in the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is not how Frank Nitty died. Would you like to hear how Frank Nitty died? Yeah. Oh, I read about this. Go on, you, do, you tell me. Uh, with a gun. To yeah. his own head. Yeah. Uh, the first shot fired by Nitty's unsteady hand. So I, this is it. I, I thought you could only shoot yourself in the head once. Right. Turns out you can shoot yourself you can in the head several that. times. Oh, my God. Uh, the first shot um, missed and passed through his fedora. The second bullet slammed into the right side of his jaw and exited through the top of his head, taking a lock of his hair and leaving it tufting, a tuft protruding through the hole in the crown of his fedora. The f- he did another shot after that. Oof, um, the final bullet... He, he shot himself in the head while wearing a hat. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, he was very drunk, by okay. the way. Mm. Uh, the final fatal bullet entered behind Nitty's right ear and lodged in the top of his skull. So, um, yeah. Yeah, They were extorting movie studios and the the gang after Al Capone had died. So Frank Nitti was in charge, I think. Was that right? Yes, yeah. he was. So they were extorting movie studios, which you know about from that film, The Godfather. Um, And so they were all indicted. That film. That that one. Sorry, I don't know why I did that. Yeah, that was that little movie. Stay tuned. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) 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 Remember Michelle's high school reunion? And so they were all indicted and they knew that what they were going to have to do a bit of time. And they sort of agreed that it was Frank's turn to do time, but he was really claustrophobic. And so rather than do it, someone had to do it. They, you know, they were banged to rights kind of thing. Uh-huh. He took his own life instead. Wow. Yeah. He was really young. They were all really young. Jeez. Yeah. Well, probably all younger than the actors who were playing them. Well, yeah. Al Capone was 32 in the, these events. Yeah. Robert De Niro was not 32 there. Um, so the jury's been bribed, so they switched the jury with next door's jury uh, by telling the judge that then his name was in the ledger. Why which does is, this work? Why does this work? Yeah, because the judge um, is has been bribed in the past, I guess. So he, he just presumes dodgy. He presumes that his name's in the ledger. But the judge... Oh, I see. It's not... Okay, so I, I think I got confused as well, because I thought it was a ledger specifically for this trial. And right. the judge would know that he hadn't taken a bribe for this particular trial. I see. But it just meant overall. Right, mm. so he was so. crooked. Okay. I think potentially, yeah. I think that's what that Is comment... Okay. Yeah. I don't know that you can just switch a jury like that. It's like, oh, sorry, we were on a murder trial in the other room <laughs> and we, we've listened to a lot of evidence, but you want us to just pop in here to do the verdict on this... I quite sure. liked it. I took it. I took it to be like, you could definitely do it. You know, I'm like, I love it when you learn something new in films. It's no. like, that's the thing you can do. But it means that we watch Al Capone losing his shit. Mm. Uh, they withdraw their plea of uh, not guilty and enter a plea of guilty. And that's when uh, Elliot Ness approaches him and says, never stop fighting till the fight is done. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a bit of a callback. Um, and then we've got a very, very angry Al Capone being held back. It's always satisfying watching the villain being held back when he's lost, <laughs> isn't it? Yep. Um, it's like at the end of a boxing match or something. Mm. It's just very good. Um, so Capone's sentenced to 11 years. Mm. Um, and that's the end, really. Um, we, we get another look at that photo from earlier. The team sort of disbands. Um, he gives the rosary to Stone because he believes a cop, Stone, uh, he would have wanted a cop to have it. And then uh, Prohibition, what would Elliot Ness do if Prohibition is, is uh, repealed? <laughs> and his line is... I'll have a drink, mm. <laughs> which is brilliant. Which is absolutely brilliant because he's just, I'm a lawman and I just do what the law tells me. And it's not that I hate booze or mm. I believe in temperance or anything. I just do what I'm supposed to do. And so if prohibition ends, I will have a drink. Ended up with a drink problem. Did he? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Elliot Ness, um, 
He even had a, a, a pretty bad car accident when he was drunk, which he tried to cover up himself. <gasps> so he wasn't really covered in glory. Also, like the Elliot Ness presented here, you did a bit of research on him. He was married three times. Um, he had no children by birth, but adopted a boy 15 years after all this happened. Okay. And in terms of um, meeting Al Capone, he did actually meet him. I think IMDb and Wikipedia say he didn't. But on May the 3rd, 1932, Ness was among the federal agents who took Capone from the Cook County Jail um, elsewhere and, uh, and put him on a train. So they did meet uh, right. after he'd been arrested. Is that when he... Because he ended up in Alcatraz, didn't he? He died in Alcatraz. No, he died at home. He was released from... He was moved from Alcatraz to there, wherever you just said. Right. Then he went home because he had neurosyphilis. Yes. So then there was this conspiracy, like, is he faking dementia to get out of prison? But he was really ill, so he went home and he died at home. Got you. Mm. Yeah, because that's what the Tom Hardy film's about, where he plays Capone. That oh, came the Josh Trank one. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which... I don't know anyone that's seen. Nope. It's supposed to be horrible. <laughs> oh, Tom Hardy playing Al Capone. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> maybe not. Um, just one last thing. Um, there was a very different ending uh, planned for this film. The original ending, you had Capone. The final image was Capone lying back in a chair and it was a close-up of him being shaved again. Mm. And then as it pulled up, you realise he's now in his jail cell being um, shaved. Right. But De Palma stopped them the day before shooting it. He said, it's not right. It's not going to work. And so, but it, I think it would have nicely bookended the film. It would have done. I know what you're talking about, start and end on the same image, but the opposite. But I think it would have shown him having a fine time in jail. And you don't want to think that. And it frame literally bookends it. It's, it's his film then. Is it meant to be about Elliot Ness? Is it meant to be about Al Capone? Mm. I think we think it's about Elliot Ness and Al Capone is a huge figure in it. Yeah. But I think over the years we think of it as Elliot Ness's story, which is why it's disappointing that it's not true. But if you have the start and end image, that's your story, isn't it? Mm. I think. Sure. So, should we do the bits? Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite scene, Alex? Oh, dum-dum over here. Like, <laughs> train station stairs scene, because amazing. Um, I thought it was really cool. I love how melodramatic it is. I love, like, everything that shouldn't work and all the over-the-top, like, my baby! Um, <laughs> and, like, then, stone throwing Ness the gun. Ness saying, take him. It's just, like, it's like it's, it should be ridiculous and yet it really works and I don't think the build-up is too long I think I got more and more tense as that was going along and I thought it was fantastic Dom Demansa <laughs> Vicky Pram steps catch the baby do the, <laughs> yeah, get the yeah. bookkeeper do these things and give Andy Garcia his moment which he deserves because otherwise I don't think he has an arc no. he's, a, he's a, a wannabe cop that becomes a cop that's it and he, you have to give him something like I would have given him a lot more to do like I'm very taken with him in this and so it is brilliant that he gets the best part of the best scene yeah. how a about Dum Dum over there a lot of people <laughs> did say that at the time though I think yeah what's what, yours then Chris dum dum. Um, I love the scene uh, where Oscar kills all the goons with his shotgun when he loses his shit Jesus are you joking I love it are you really joking <laughs> yeah, it's, really so it's so bad it's so bad when he kicks a man I a love gangster seeing, goes ah I've done, I love I've seeing the little man snap I can see a lot of myself in him oh sure that's fair so uh, that is my favourite scene most valuable ever Vicky uh, I, well mm, it's either I, I know the you think it's over the top when Robert De Niro starts shouting, you've got nothing, but I just think it's wicked. Uh, but it obviously is a bit silly. And then I want to give Andy Garcia it because he's sexy, but that's not a right reason. So Brian De Palma for lifting the Eisenstein um, Odessa Step sequence and making it brilliant and better. Wow. There we are. So that's dum-dum twice because yeah. her reason for her MVW <laughs> yeah. is the stairs. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot, a lot of people have written that, so... <laughs> I don't know where you found it. Okay. Okay. Uh, mine is 
De Niro, I think mm. he's absolutely fantastic as Al Capone. I think he every scene he's in, it's just like a, a masterclass in just power and like the, just like the action he does with his finger. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want to piss on his ashes. I'm like, I oh. will say when with gangsters, right? Yeah. we only ever see them like we all the gangsters that we've done, especially on the podcast. It's like it's the decline, isn't it? It's like the rise and fall. We mm. do that a lot, and then Al Capone, similar the rise and fall, and they're always ruining their fun. So they're at that dinner, and he's got a baseball bat, and everyone's like, that's fine like they're not allowed to go whoa, whoa, whoa why have you got a baseball bat like, I, just... I, and the answer is I'm going to make a metaphor yeah but yeah. you've brought a prop I don't know like everyone should be like oh shit and it's like but you're going to ruin your fancy dinner you're always gangsters are always ruining their fun I don't believe he ruined the dinner no I mean I don't think I think he probably sat down and ate around the blood <laughs> yeah and said if anyone dares yeah. say a word and also it starts off as quite a positive metaphor he's like talking about them oh, as fantastic. a team and yeah, that's why great. he's got the baseball bat and they're like oh I love it he's brought a prop I also loved that that because of this um not necessarily just strictly like american thing but the the we talk a lot about the hero's journey and you know in storytelling mm. and we have spoken a lot before possibly in the pub so forgive me this the individualization of like heroism and storytelling it's like one person usually a man can change the world and can do everything and the reality is it's a collective effort and to have someone like al capone go it is a collective effort by the way like it isn't just one man's story i thought that was a brilliant thing for someone who's such a central figure in all of that to say it's not just me it's everybody but it kind of is just me because i'm the boss yeah i loved it sorry i interrupted you no, I'd finished. Okay. It was more a sort of a follow-on, if anything. A reflection. Yeah, if great. I really appreciate that. I see you. <laughs> As you've taken to Dero, I'm going for Ennio Morricone. It's oh. my second favourite Morricone score. I just think it's stunning. And it, I, there's good stuff um, at the beginning, and Capone's theme is good, but that hero theme is just so beautiful, and it so elevates the material um, that I'm voting for him. So, Vicky, what would you change? Okay, so when Elliot Ness is in Canada, he kills someone and he's really sad about it. He's like, is this a game? And it's like, you've done that. You've crossed that threshold. You killed a man. So when he throws Nitty off the roof, it's a repeat of, you killed a man. And it just doesn't work for me, for, for Elliot Ness's character. So he should do the right thing, despite the provocation. Obviously, he's being provoked by Nitty, but he should do it because then you've got the arc of, given that we're making stuff up anyway and it's not true to life, so the job nearly ruined him when he killed someone in Canada, but actually it hasn't, and he's found his way back. He does the right thing. So he's, he's being really, really provoked to throw this man off the roof, and he's like, I am still going to put you in prison because I'm doing the right thing. Is it not that he is... Because Nitty says, before he goads him, he mm. says, watch me beat the rap, meaning Nitty's going to be back out and on the street. And yeah. is Ness not just scared that Nitty, having already threatened his family, may try and kill his family yeah. while Capone's in prison, well, no matter what? Just take that line out of it, just make it clear that... Because he pulls him back up and it's like, you should catch him, like catch him properly mm. and then send him to prison. But and he's goading him because he knows he's going to go to prison. He's like, I'd rather be dead than in prison, so I do want you to shoot me. And he's like, I won't even give you that. But isn't that the message of the film, though, that he's got to start using the Chicago way? Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. No, is it? Yeah, I think that's what, that's what Malone tells him and then that's what he realised at the end, that I can't beat these people without crossing the line here yeah but he has just we, we're walking into a scene where he just beats everybody like it feels like that's that quest has finished 
No, because he gets he gets nitty and he gets Capone yeah. by both ways. One is using violence and one is telling a lie because the judge's name wasn't on that lender. Sure, I don't know. I, this, mm. When you think of Elliot Ness, you think he got Al Capone in a way that no one, including Al Capone, thought was possible. Mm. And it was the you know a, a clean way kind of thing. Because you can't switch juries at the 11th hour. <laughs> That's why no one thought it was possible. <laughs> yeah. Al? Uh, mine's a little bit silly, but given, to use your words, that we are making things up. Yeah, I like, I like to have a bit of fun. You, you, you simply should not, in a movie, have three characters called Stone, Malone and Capone. It's ridiculous. Mm. I remember thinking it as a kid going, mm. which one's which? Mm-hmm. I'm like Stone, Malone, and Capone. That, and that scene, they're all eating provolone. <laughs> no, it's a really valid change. Well done. Good Thanks. spot. Well yeah. done. Um, I think we need to have some humour between Elliot Ness and his wife. Um, just give us something that makes me like them I as a couple. I think she thinks, do you want to brush my hair? It's quite yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know... Do you want to take it off and give it to me? <laughs> well, then make a Merkin gang. <laughs> I, I 100%. Know... <laughs> yeah, that is what this film's missing. I think a lot of people said that at the time. <laughs> I know, yeah, replace the, the scene on the steps with the pram with a Merkin gang. <laughs> I know Costner isn't exactly a, a comedy uh, genius, but like that chemistry he has with René Russo in Tin Cup, I just think it's so unfair that Patricia Clarkson just feels like the wife feels like this killjoy. Oh my god! And yeah, so I, I want to like them as a couple, and yeah. I think it sort of drains the life out of the film a little bit when she's on screen, and that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. All right, we're done. Quiz. Uh, do you want a quiz? Sure. I've written one. Oh, okay. If you've written one, I mean, I don't want it to go to waste. Let's see. I always start picking at this sellotape on the table when you say quiz. I always put lip balm on. <laughs> We've got these tells. Very triggering. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're in the midst of award season. And so this is a quiz about best picture Oscar winners. Okay. Sure. I'm going to give you the year and the initials of the film. Oh, okay. Then it's best picture. Okay. And you've got to give me the title. So if I said, this is not one, but if I said 1980 Uh KVK... Okay, good. Well done. I'm so glad that wasn't one because that would have been very difficult (laughs) and I would have got a lot of shit. Yeah. Except it was Vicky. Everyone on Twitter will go, no, Vicky totally deserved it. (laughs) It was Vicky. It was Vicky. So, yeah, bonus point potentially. Thanks to everyone on Twitter. (laughs) Um, I'll do do it the other way around. I'm going to do the letters first. Okay. Okay. Um, O F O T C N 1976. One flew of the cookies nest. Oh, you bastard! Correct, Sorry. Alex. Language. <laughs> really, you start this podcast with "fuck you, motherfuckers." <laughs> I actually regretted that when I did it. Maybe we need to speak to Nikki. It's just quite like straight out the gate. It's a bit much. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it's the Untouchables episode. If we, we were doing up, I might have questioned it. <laughs> I, I, and just to say, bringing those child <laughs> listeners. I've, Fuck I, you, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to pick films you will have heard of. I've not gone super obscure from 1923 or whatever. Uh, so, Wings. Uh, DMD 1990. Oh, heck. 1990, DMD. Not a great Best Picture winner. Not considered a... Driving Miss Daisy! Correct. Oh, I got it from Not a Great Best Picture winner. Yep. Okay. N-C-F-O-M. Oh, Jesus. Just wait. You're speaking too quickly. And the year is 2008. No Country for Old Men. Correct. Oh, thank God. Correct. <laughs> thank God. Okay. B. And the year is 1996. 
Babe, big in the city. <laughs> uh, uh, 96. Hmm. Oh, Braveheart. Correct. Oh! We are neck and neck. Okay. WSS. And the year <laughs> is 1961. <laughs> Famous uh, Best Picture winner. Won a bunch of Oscars. Oh, wait. <laughs> I just can't go too early. It's a this musical. Is West Side Story. Correct! Oh! <laughs> oh, Alex, you need this. I know. You really need uh, this. Otherwise, I won't be hosting the Oscars coverage this year. <laughs> but I will. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is the prize. Yeah. I'll tell Sky about this episode. You'll be getting a call if you win. T S O T L. The year is 1991. Okay. We've done it on the podcast. Oh, no. It got three. Uh, wins, I believe. And oh, it is hell. only the third and last Best Picture winner to win all the five big awards. The Sons of the Lambs! Correct. Oh. Alex. <laughs> Alex. Sons of the Lambs! Oh, what a film! Yeah. yeah that's so, tiebreaker. Okay. I remembered to write one. Oh, it was nice when we had a draw last week. Do you oh. want to just leave it at a draw? Oh, can we? No. Oh, Alex! All right, yes, fine. <laughs> all right, we leave it at a draw. Really? Yeah, yeah, why not? Well played. Very good game. Okay, good game. Good game. Just for fun, what was the last one going to be? What was the But it's only for fun. Yeah. How many Best Picture winners have there been? Uh, Uh, 75? Nope. It's uh, 100. 94. I was close, sir. That was the real quiz. Win! <laughs> it wasn't the real quiz. This is your literal fucking day job. <laughs> 1923 is written down. I know, bastard. Wait, when was the first Oscars? Was it around then? 94 years ago, I guess. Okay, yeah. like three years ago. Good, good point. Well played. Well played. All right, then. That is it for this episode. But it's time to look ahead to next week and our next listener suggested pairing as we straddle the very end of January and enter. February Fanny. So, who has the clue, Chris? I do. You, yeah. I do. Very excited about next week's films. Uh, can I just say for the record? Uh, my, <laughs> my clue. It's almost a clue. That, We're all laughing. Clue, yeah. uh, my clue is hiding in Paris. That's all oh. hiding in Paris. Nice. It's good. <laughs> it's really good. It's very good. Very good. That is your clue for next week's Clash of the Titles, February Fanny, beginning February end. But before then, of course, we are back on Thursday when we're going to be talking Road to Perdition and revealing the winner of this week's Clash. Until then, have a great week. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.